0: We know how to get people to work together. How do you get robots, drones, autonomous vehicles, and other smart systems to collaborate? Welcome to Tech First with Junkets here. No jobs are simple. Take ordering a pizza and getting it. You've got to phone somebody or use an app or be online. That order has to go somewhere. Somebody has to take it. Some bread needs to be prepared, some dough, some toppings need to be put on. That gets finished, goes in an oven, goes to a delivery person. He picks it up. She picks it up, drives it to your home. All that is coordinated. But everything takes steps and processes. If we're going to get to an automated world, an autonomous life, if you want to say it that way. How do you get smart machines in the kitchen, in delivery, in production, all those things working together? How do you enable that? To chat about this, we are going to bring in our guest, who is Kumardev Chatterjee. He's the founder and CEO of Unmanned Life. Welcome, Kumardev.
1: Uh, Thank you, John. Welcome, everyone. Uh, Very nice to be here and uh, speak about these topics, which are very close to my heart.
0: Wonderful. Um, talk to me uh, as a bit of an intro a little bit, how you see the future of machines working together.
1: I believe we are entering what I call an era of autonomy or an era of, of the autonomous economy. And what that effectively means is that today we have a humans first in most jobs and most uh, sort of uh, processes, whether that's industrial or retail or even food delivery, you just mentioned that medical delivery and, um, And we are going to move, my vision is that we're going to move to a world where machines first. So the first thing you'll think about when you're thinking about delivery of food would be not who's gonna come and knock on your door, but which drone is it gonna be today, right? And and the first thing you think about when you're like, oh, I've got to go to a hospital or I've got to get a checkup done is basically which machine room with which machines are gonna be looking at you. And today this might sound a bit overtly futuristic perhaps, like, you know, uh, uh, back to the future type of futuristic, But uh, the reality is that this is happening as you know, and as I know across the world at, at an increasing pace. And why is that? It's because machines are not only the future in terms of productivity and efficiency, but today we need them. Look at the COVID world and it's obvious that we need to have less and less human interaction for things where humans don't need to be put at risk. And that's where machines are perfectly suited for that.
0: And we have huge challenges with that, right? Because you see a lot of machines being created, you see a lot of robots being made, delivery robots, automated machinery being put into factories, other places like that. But often we're thinking of a very discrete job or a very specific task for the machine, and not completing an entire task. So we, we have something that might help us uh, plant a seed, but maybe not also harvest or might help us, you know, drive a nail, but not build the whole house, correct?
1: Absolutely, John, spot on. Uh, and let's ask ourselves a question from a very standard standpoint. Why is that? Because if you go to a greenhouse, you'll see that the one, the person who's pulling the seed out of a plant It's not the same person who's watering the plant and it's not the same person who's actually sort of working on that seed and turning that into something else. It's a team of different human beings performing different tasks. Uh, They might be skilled at different tasks, but in a particular process, they do one particular task in general. Now, in, in our world, we all do multiple tasks, sometimes at the same time. But for most industrial or retail or normal processes, one person does one particular job. And if you were to replace that with machines, exactly, it's not enough to have one machine or a couple of machines that do different things. You need to have a team of machines, robots, drones, whatever you call them, working together just like a human team would do. And so you have got to get over that to be able to enable the scenario where an entire process run by human beings can be now run by robots and perhaps some human beings.
0: And, and to do that, uh, we don't just need the hardware. We need some communication protocols. We need some interoperability protocols, correct?
1: Music to my ears, right. So uh, <laughs> so the history of this goes back quite a while. A lot of people have tried to build the everything machine, right? And you know you know that as, as a tech journalist or somebody in, in the field. Um, and they've failed. And for, for good reasons is that hardware is not only hard to do, hardware is fundamentally, from the physics standpoint, built to do certain things. And when you think about a team of hardware, a team of robots working together, number one is that point you mentioned, communication. How do you communicate? I mean, just take a rugby team or what you guys call a football, right? It's rugby in the rest of the world. Uh, so take a rugby team or a football team, and you're like, let's communicate and let's figure out how to do a scrum. But to communicate, you, somebody has to take leadership. And sometimes the leadership, the baton has to be passed on. These are uh, quite simple things for human beings to perhaps do, but very hard for machines to do, particularly just hardware. So you need some sort of brain that's not hardware, that's software that is able to manage those communications and bring it together. A very simple question I'd ask everybody, if there's five people in a room and you didn't know each other and you didn't speak each other's language at all, and but everybody, everybody were told at the same time, in your language, get out of the door at full speed one at a time what are the chances, what are the chances you're gonna do that without colliding zero yeah. right and so that's exactly what happens if you have a hardware uh, based if you try to have a hardware solution you need to have a supervisory brain a software that's able to actually talk to every each of those robots and these machines we don't understand each other and don't have a share don't share a common language but not only they need to be directed in a way by someone or something that is able to see what needs to be done and what each one is individually doing. And this needs to be done at very fast, very fast and adaptively. So if if something starts off and then the positions of different robots change, someone needs to understand that and readapt what the next step will be. That can only be done by software. Mathematically, from a computer science perspective and we can be a scientist, we know that that can be done only through software. And so that's the missing bit, John, which is why a lot of these let's do everything machines haven't gone anywhere. I mean, I know that you are a great Tesla fan um, and, and Tesla undoubtedly is at the edge of the uh, of the automotive world when it comes to EVs and autonomous driving. And if you look at under the hood of a Tesla, of course, it's impressive hardware, but there's super impressive software, right? Yeah. They're ahead of the game on all the software issues, right? And that is the key. You can only have fantastic hardware performance if and only if your software is ahead of the curve and is able to make the hardware think.
0: That's a really, really great insight. And and it's funny because when I when, when you start talking about Tesla, where I thought you were going for a second was Tesla was going to build the machine that was going to make the machine, right? They were going to build the totally automated factory. They pulled back from that because they yeah. they lacked the ability to actually do that. It, it is something that I assume will happen in the mid to near term future, but they couldn't yeah. do that. But you're absolutely right. Great hardware is hobbled with poor software. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to offend a bunch of people here, but I I'd call out Samsung <laughs> as, as one of the companies in the world that need to learn that and probably have learned that. What I wanted to ask you is you've actually, so you're not just building something out of thin air here. You're actually implementing things. Talk about what you've built yeah. so far and what you've implemented so far.
1: So the idea of autonomy as a service is no longer a concept. It's something that's been deployed by major governments around the world. The city of Vienna is deploying the world's first fully autonomous drone service for search and rescue. So our drones will take off from fire engines and will go and search for people who are lost or who have had are in distress. And then first responders will take that data and respond to that. And now with COVID, we are now deploying autonomous disinfection solutions. We just won the award today. We're one of the winners of the EU Virus Hackathon. I, I published that on my on my uh, Facebook, and uh, what we're saying is that you can have autonomous disinfection for hospitals and large public places, and even indoors because our drones can do outdoors and indoors, just like a human team would do. But there are no humans, so they're not at risk from COVID or either to themselves or to others. And these drones can be deployed whenever you want, and yes. that's possible because of the software platform that we've tested. And deployed at Walmart, uh, that we are to deployed with Walmart, with uh, Swiss Post, with uh, Telefonica, Deutsche Telekom, and other places, and, um, and and the city of Vienna, among other things. So definitely the future of autonomy is software and not hardware. But it's more than that. It's about software that is, that is hardware agnostic. Yes. And, and that layer of software can just run robots without the you having to think about what robots and how. We are a part of the Walmart accelerator. And effectively what we do there is you've got robots working together in a team in a warehouse and moving parcels at full speed. So I can show you a video, but I think might not fit in the format of the the live interview. I'll send that to you later on. Uh, And you will see these robots, just like human beings, moving around in a warehouse. There are no tags on the floor. There are no motion capture cameras. There's no GPS, obviously, this is indoors, right? And these robots have to work like human beings. So they have to figure out where to go and pick up a parcel. They'll have to wait for the parcel, politely take the parcel. And only once it has been loaded, start to move at a very high speed up to five meters per second, get to another other end of the warehouse to a point that they didn't know what that point was when they picked up that parcel because you know they didn't know where that where they had to go. And somebody would be directing them through this whole process. It looks like an orchestrated dance, humans and robots working together, like what I call a kind of like a next generation Swan Lick effectively.
0: It's a super interesting concept because you can you can imagine how an Amazon would love to do something like this. Amazon, of course, bought uh, the Kiva robots, um, that the company that built them, and yeah. they're probably one of the larger um installations globally of, of workplace robots. And frankly, from what I hear from people who work in Amazon distribution centers and the repetitive stress injuries that they have, uh, it would be a good thing.
1: No, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned Amazon, Uh, a lot of people when we started off said the same thing, said, you know, look guys, what about Kiva? What about Amazon? And I said, what's interesting about the Amazon approach doing that. And they tried that too with Kiva is that you have to build a warehouse that's Kiva compliant. And. The rest of the world doesn't want to do that. And Amazon, obviously, for its own competitivity doesn't want to give you their technology. But we, as a software, we can just say any company, whether that's Walmart uh, you know, or any of the other large American companies that some of them, which you're working with, just takes our software and starts deploying that in their warehouses and it looks cool.
0: I love the, the idea of making it work for factories that are not built for automation, because we're going to be working with people for large, large portions of time. You're going to have some robots that can do some parts of it, but you're not going to be able to invest in robots that do everything right away. You probably don't have the money to be able to do that. Uh, but. But um, being able to have a system that enables people to work with robots makes a ton of sense. You mentioned drones. What are the drones doing?
1: So the drones are working together to respond to an emergency. So they're flying and they're they're giving data to uh, first responders so that they can figure out what's going on.
0: Perhaps it's a firefighting situation or something like that. You can send the drones, get some imagery and some data on what's coming or what's happening and be able to respond to it quicker
1: exactly yeah that's that's exactly it so uh, when we started out there was basically two assumptions that had to be uh, taken on head on so the first one we just talked about can hardware do everything can you build a hardware everything machine and the answer to that obviously was that no you can't right you, you yep. just cannot build a you just cannot build a hardware uh, everything machine the other assumption or the other challenge was can you do a software that's able to talk to different types of robots so this is not just about Talking to uh, two types of drones from two different uh, two types of drones from two different organizations or two types of drones from two different uh, manufacturers. It's about can you control a drone and a robot together with a robotic arm, and can you com- compose a fully autonomous team where there are different m- m- pieces of machine working together?
0: Interesting, and
1: the answer, right? So that is something that we are working on, and we've done a bunch of that. We've called robots and drones to work together. Is there, um,
0: is there a, uh, a standard for uh, robot-to-robot communication? Uh, does it all go to the cloud first and then come back down? Does it go device-to-device? How does that so, work?
1: So there's both types of operations. So you've got companies that do uh, like ClearPath and some others that build robots and they have a proprietary protocol uh, where different robots can work together, right? If you can get this done and we've got it done and then scale that up, suddenly that autonomous economy, where you have robots or teams of robots, times with humans, sometimes without humans, becomes a reality, right? And so from the very beginning, the first challenge was, yeah, so from the very beginning, the first challenge, how do you solve the hardware issue? Different types of hardware from different manufacturers that don't talk to each other, no standards, whatever, how do you crack, how do you crack that? Number two was, how do you do different machines working together? Right. I often have this analogy. If we were like Superman, we could go up and then come down and walk. But that's just fantasy. Can you make that? Can you do that in reality? Right. And that's what we've done. And where yeah. we're going from here is actually trying to scale that up and do how a large number of robots working together in teams, and well, that's and the challenges teams-
0: as well, that the human body, I mean, is kind of like a Superman to a robot. I mean, the, the number of different things we can do, we can sit, we can stand, we can walk, we can run, we can handle with our fingers, you know, versus most robots are built to do kind of one or two or three of those things, maybe at the very most. And combining those in especially a mobile platform uh, with power is really, really challenging. Well, Kumardev, I think we're going to have to call it for now. We've had some internet challenges and other things like that, but saw some cool things. Really, really do appreciate it.
1: No, John, thank you very much. I hope that I was able to share some insights. And of course, with the better internet, we could have done a bit more. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, what's interesting is that we've managed to now enable something that was simply not possible before.
0: Thank you again, Kumar Dev. It's been super interesting. And for everybody else, uh, thank you for joining us on Tech First. My name is John Katsir. Appreciate you being along for the ride. Whatever platform you're on, like it, subscribe it, share, comment, all the above. If you're on the podcast later on, please rate it and review it. That'd be a massive help. Until next time, this is John with Tech First.